I'm Greg Oliar. Four years ago, I stopped writing novels to report on the crimes of Donald Trump and his associates. In 2018, I wrote a best-selling book about it, Dirty Rubles. In 2019, I launched Prevail, a bi-weekly column about Trump and Putin, spies and mobsters, and so many traitors! Trump may be gone, but the damage he wrought will take years to fully understand. Join me and a revolving crew of contributors and guests as we try to make sense of it all. This is Prevail. Thanks to Skillshare for supporting Muller, She Wrote. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for our listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for free. That's right. Skillshare is offering Muller, She Wrote listeners two months of unlimited access to over 25,000 classes for free. And thanks to Best Fiends for supporting Muller, She Wrote. Best Fiends is a unique and exciting puzzle experience unlike other puzzle games out there. Best Fiends updates the game monthly with new levels and events so it never gets old. Download free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. And thanks to Kettlebell Kitchen for supporting Muller, She Wrote. Kettlebell Kitchen knows that meal planning isn't one size fits all, which is why they offer a personalized solution. Go to kettlebellkitchen.com and enter code MSW for $50 off your first two orders for new customers only. My name is Renato Mariotti. I'm the host of the On Topic podcast, and you're listening to Muller, She Wrote. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Muller She Wrote. I'm your host, A.G., and with me today are Jordan Coburn. Hello. And Amanda Reeder. Hello. How are you guys? Good. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Excellent mm-hmm. weekend. I, I feel much better. Thank you for all the well wishes. Uh, I was out. OWT had to go to the ER. Uh, that's a lot of letters. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I got a shot of steroids and now I feel like Supergirl. So Hell, yeah. How it's, long does that last? Uh, a couple days. Nice. And mm-hmm. speaking of Supergirl, we have Lex Luthor. Uh, John Cryer for our interview today. Nice. Yeah. Nice segue. Um, yeah, amazing interview. Probably my favorite interview I've ever done. No offense to any other interviews I've ever done, but he's just so smart and so funny, and you're going to love it. It's at the end, so stick around for it. I'm going to listen to it probably a couple of times. You will not be sorry. Plus, it's Ducky, so you know you have to. Um, we do have a lot to get to this week, but I wanted to tell you about our upcoming live shows. We'll be at Politicon in Nashville on October 26th or 27th. 27th it's on sunday our panel is at 2 p.m on the democracy village stage so take a look at the schedule and following the panel we will have a meet and greet so stick around after the panel and on our panel joining us is jill Weinbanks. oh cool yeah former prosecutor from watergate oh, i didn't know that that's awesome really so cool. i'm really excited about that because she i have oh, so many amazing so many impeachment questions i want to know what brooch she's gonna wear <laughs> um I'm excited for Politicon, you guys. Yeah, it's in schedule. There's a lot of douchebags there, but it's oh god, but yes. it's so much fun. High douchebag cushion. It it's so much fun to peel yourself away from the douche nozzles at the end of the day and go have drinks with all like Maya Wiley and Joyce Vance and yeah, um, the bad people, Katie Fang and Natasha Bertrand, and 
everybody that you love. And then you can always see Comey because he's eight feet tall and then you just <laughs> yell at him from we across the room. Because we've been in a building with so many douchebags. <laughs> I was I was like, am I, is my head going to pop off in the company of so many Fox News people? You know what you'll learn? Just, we should just walk Sorry, around with didactic. it. He should, just walk, he should just walk around with a giant blue curtain rod everywhere he goes uh, yeah. so he can just hide from everything. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I know he totally like meerkats anywhere he goes, huh? He's just like... Mm? <laughs> people <laughs> people meet at him. Where yeah. you want to meet? Meet at Comey. <laughs> yes. I am a landmark. <laughs> he. Uh, but what, what, I, what I learned, at least, uh, was the first year we went, and only year, is that those people hang out from both sides like they're good friends they have long established relationships with each other from Mm -hmm. fox news versus from even like people from tyt yeah right so it's like it's crazy to kind of see that to see how they have they have decorum with one another despite the fact that their programming would suggest they would be at each other's throats when they see each other in real life but it's not like that at all everyone actually treats each other with a lot of respect and to a degree it's kind of frustrating except for like, like the prager why the fuck are you friends right yeah. now except, take her down bitch except for like the prager use dana loesch uh who yes. is that other one girl that gets kicked out of everything oh god um yeah. loomer that's her um like uh, uh jacob rolls mm-hmm. those those people are generally everyone laughs at them and they're always removed yes yeah yeah totally they're escorted off the property yeah Um, yeah so it's very interesting yeah to see the level Mm -hmm. um but it it, it, yeah you're right it is fascinating to be like i guess you know social contracts civil decorum um we we often have to work with people we don't like um and i (laughs) I imagine that that's you know what it might must have been like in the congress maybe 15 years ago Yeah, I can't really argue, you know, for being at each other's throats. That doesn't really lend itself to any sort of good policy making. Yeah, I'm so frustrated when it's being so civil. What the fuck? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. But I did kind of see them and I was just like, what? What? You're friends? Yeah. Interesting. What? I mean, that makes sense. It was frustrating. But there's no Nazis for sure. Yeah. Um, They're not welcome. But yeah, Chris Christie looks like a jolly guy you want to have a drink Uh with. You know? Totally. Very approachable. Yeah. Except the pleated front pants. I mean, you got (laughs) to I'm going to disagree with you guys on that one. (laughs) Well, have you you haven't seen his charm in person yet. No, I have not. I have not. I've only seen it on the news. (laughs) He does look like he should be the head of some like adorable nonprofit. Yeah. He kind of like, looks like um like like teddy he bears to kids or something. Be in a kids show. Yes, he does. Like uh the Wiggles. Yeah, or what's the one with the Teletubbies? <laughs> just you know, just totally like hi kids and yeah, <laughs> really selling me a good job. <laughs> I feel like he'd make a good Santa. Like he just seems oh, really jolly. Yeah, <laughs> his future career is going to be a mall Santa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> then he opens his mouth and just flames come yeah. out, and his eyes turn black. <laughs> I know, no, and you can't cross. Like when you go to see him at the at the Santa Mall, you can't. Like the bridge is closed down, so you can't cross it yes. to get over there to see him. <laughs> or he has trolls. He shot trolls down. underneath the bridge. <laughs> I still have nightmares about a talking Christmas tree that was at the mall nearest my house. Growing oh, up, no. I have one of those, oh. <laughs> and you can program it to say whatever you want. Oh shit! There was a person inside of it who would talk to you as you walked by. Oh, that's like, it was scary. like a ginormous. That is terrifying. Was, uh, okay, I doubt we have any listeners, maybe a few who are from Halifax, Nova Scotia, in Canada. Mm-hmm. But if you know what I'm talking about, Woody the Christmas Tree, which was at Micmac Mall, is so terrifying. <laughs> Micmac Mall. I, it's called Micmac Mall. That's oh what it was God. called. I know it was an, it, like it was a shopping mall named after the local like. 
yeah. like indigenous tribe. So fucked up. Uh, White okay. people are so ridiculous. That's so terrible. And Nick I'll show you guys Mac a video Mall. or a picture of it later. But it was like this ginormous, like as high as the ceiling, it, like two, st- really fucking tall. And as you walked up to it, it would be like, hello, little girl. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> like, it was like nice. someone inside of it talking to you. So terrifying. Um, yeah. Nightmares for Yikes. yours. That's yeah. giant. No, mine was tiny. <laughs> mine was a little tree, like a Teddy Ruxpin, but shaped like a Christmas tree. <laughs> and it, it would normally just say jingle bells, jingle bells or whatever it was programmed to say. But I found if you recorded a tape and put it in the back of it, it would mouth to whatever you were talking. That's, so we, oh we would God. have it say, I'm going to kill your grandma or something <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> Uh, when uh, my cousins would come over, remember those like f- those uh, those fish decorations everyone used to program the singing fish. Oh, yes, yeah. mm-hmm. yeah. Billy Bass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why do I know that? <laughs> Don't ask me. I'm not the one from Halifax. No one puts fish on walls, really, right? Mm. That's not a thing. You don't like taxidermy a fish. Oh, people or I guess do people that. do do that, oh, huh? Yeah, yeah. for real, especially sailfish, and it's that's the thing. Yeah, mm. is that the thing with like the the big fin and the long pointed yeah, nose? That's the one. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> uh. So There's we'll be piece. at Politicon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we'll be in Boston, November 7th. Tickets are available for both uh, still, I believe. Also, our sister pod on Twitter. Follow them at Daily Beans Pod. That's us. Them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and if you follow at Daily Beans Pod on Twitter, you will automatically be entered to win lunch uh, with uh, myself, AG, and our network CEO, Jason, um, from Starburns Industries, the whole Rick and Morty crew. Uh, not the whole crew, uh, just Jason, but he's awesome. And we'll fly to wherever you are in the lower 48 states and we'll come have dinner with you and a friend. So all you got to do to enter that is go to Twitter and follow at Daily Beans Pod. And that'll automatically enter you to win. Um, we have a big show today, including an interview with John Cryer. Like I said, we'll be going over the Department of Justice finally starting to hand over Mueller documents, um, sort of. We have some shocking news about Deutsche Bank. Rosneft is back in the news and the Treasury is involved. Um, there's the battle for the Mueller grand jury materials. That's heating up. There's a new Senate intel report on Trump and Russia. Cohen is raising his hand again. The White Horse prophecy is maybe coming true. Uh, there's a story about Konstantin Kalimnik that ties into the current Ukraine impeachment story, because of course it does. And there's a shakeup at Fox News. And the Fantasy Indictment League is lit AF today. But before we get to all that, it's time for my favorite segment, Corrections. It's a mistake. It's hard for me to say I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Okay. Rita Guerra, Joseph Stingle, um, Sumit Chef, Paul, Mary Wagner Moritz, Tom Cunningham, Bethany Roberts, Michael, Rebecca Underwood, all of these folks, um, Amanda, want to challenge your notion of what expat means. (laughs) Um, uh, Rita Guerra says, I'm Portuguese. Um, I'm a journalist living in L.A. for five years now, working as a correspondent, but I'm not an immigrant. I haven't gone through the immigration process. I don't have immigration status. I'm not looking to permanently migrate here. I have a work visa that doesn't give me the rights and duties of an immigrant. Uh, I'm an expat, currently out of my own country, but with family, friends, possessions, bank accounts still there, knowing I'll go back. So when they say expat, that's what they're talking about. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it was uh, absolutely not a hill I'm going to die on. Like, (laughs) totally not. Uh, And that was just based on my own personal experiences and conversations with friends. And that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes if a friend wants you to stop saying something, you just do it because it's not, you know, why if it if it bothers you. Yeah, I'm not gonna sit here and argue about mm-hmm. why Absolutely. it bothers you. And, and so. it was also more for me like uh, the idea of living in a place long term and settling there. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. And again, really not a hill I'm gonna die on, just <laughs> based on passing conversations with friends. 
Yeah, it was just a conversation I'd had with a with a friend before, and like me as a as a white person and her as a person of color, she was just saying like I find the term expat, in my personal opinion and my experience, to be rooted in privilege and racism. And I was like, cool. Well, I'll call myself an immigrant then, because you know. So it was, and then I had read an article about it, and it was just sort of like not something I had done deep research on. It was just based on like a few articles I'd read and, and some personal conversations. And but, this wasn't about your moving here to be here permanently. This was about when you were. Yeah, temporarily in London when, from Canada. When I lived in London, um, which at the time I thought I was staying there. Okay, so, yeah, maybe, yeah. so it seems like maybe that's the difference. Yeah. At least that um, this person's pointing out totally. Is that if you're planning on going back, you're an expat because your bank accounts, your everything, you pay taxes back in the mm-hmm. old place, etc. You and you're not getting the all the rights and duties that come with being an immigrant. I think for um, some people too, and they, you're not planning on staying. Even if I think sometimes too, people who even plan on staying in their adopted country refer to themselves as an expat. I got some feedback from people on Twitter and some emails about that. And that's totally fine. You know, like it, my the, the statement I made last week, again, like, I don't think if you use the word expat that you're racist, <laughs> obviously. And um, yeah, it just, was just a personal choice for you. Just a, yeah, just a personal choice for me. And like, honestly, it, it it's a, a label a lot of people use and, and they're comfortable with that. And that's totally chill. And honestly, good on you for seeing the world and getting out there and, and experiencing other cultures. That's awesome. big and massively yeah, important. It's huge. So, and that's why when I've caught like 12 people on stolen valor that are Trump supporters because if they come out and do this Trump shit with this you know fuck immigrants and fuck that mm-hmm. and fuck that I guarantee you they've never traveled it's just yeah, the way totally. that it is you can't have been in the military at least traveled in the military mm-hmm. maybe you joined and, and you got desk duty in Texas or something and never went anywhere yeah um, but if you've traveled the globe that is the like so important to travel that's if the you have antidote the means to, to, if you have the means to hate really honestly yeah. so i really apologize if i caused any hurt feelings by that but yeah again no no worries not a hill i'm choosing to die on not something i strongly believe in yeah i think your intentions were gold uh heather e and molly cooper uh got on me about the pronunciation the pronunciation of nevada it's not nevada it's nevada okay i'm from nevada and mm-hmm. I don't really have an opinion either way. <laughs> I don't know what I feel that just contributed to this conversation. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, me. Me. I mean. Brian Oust. Um, um, it's from Brian Oust. Amanda suggested Wednesday um, in the Daily Beans that Obergefell decision in 2015 was the case that provided her the right as a Canadian to marry her U.S. wife. That is incorrect. Obergefell stands for the proposition that states must extend same-sex marriage rights to all persons. The case that defined marriage for federal purposes, including immigration benefits, was Windsor versus United States 2013, where federal law had previously limited definition of marriage between a man and woman. Really? That's what they're saying. I I, I knew about the Windsor case, but for some reason I thought it was the 2015 decision which allowed... Americans to bring their same-sex spouses to the country, but apparently that cool. was I'll from state that. to state. Okay, but we can look it up. Yeah, we cool. can get a correction on corrections. It's happened. Yeah, uh, Rebecca Underwood um, says in the Daily Beans for Wednesday, the flute that you toot. Uh, <laughs> Ag said she thought AOC was on the judiciary, but AOC is in the House, not the Senate. Did I say that? I'm sorry, um, because I know that. But thank you. Mary Desset uh, said regarding the Southern District of New York Judge Marara's decision in the Mazars case, y'all mentioned his ruling would constitute precedent. It does not. District courts don't set precedent. They are at the bottom of the totem pole. Other courts look only to appellate courts for precedent and Supreme Court, I'm assuming. Um, Kirstie Tassel, um, 
she says minor 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 for amanda the singer that is awesome with his clapbacks on twitter is james blunt not josh groban oh Ah. yes 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 and also i've seen him i'm pretty sure on the celebrities reading mean tweets Mm. segment that jimmy kimmel does yes yes. james blunt that's the guy james blunt's the guy that goes beautiful yeah yeah josh groban is like you raise me yes yes, yes. Thank you so much, Jordan. <laughs> you raised me up. Yeah, you got it. You're exactly oh, right. Yeah, I know. He is funny. Yeah. <laughs> so follow James Blunt. <laughs> Anna Riley, Joe Baker, Carolyn Watson. They say in episode The, toot, the Flute That You Toot, you all talk about the mandate of heaven. And they want to let us to know a mandate of heaven isn't whether someone will go to heaven. It's the ah. idea that the ruler has been approved by the gods. Okay. Or God. So if you're disapproved, you can still get into heaven. Apparently, but he's no he's no longer <laughs> mandated to uh, be the approved ruler by God. Okay, nah, that's way less. I don't know why he said that with solemnity. Who gives a fuck? I didn't know that that was even a condition of being the president. Uh, apparently, to Pat Robertson. Apparently, it is to Pat Robertson. Mm. All right. Um, John O'Lore says, on Tuesday's edition of the Daily Beans, you mentioned 67 votes are needed in the Senate to convict on an article of impeachment, articles of impeachment. In fact, Article 1, Section 3 says a vote of two-thirds of the members present is necessary, which implies uh, two votes to convict would be sufficient if only three senators showed up. So 67 would just be if everyone showed up. Yeah, so we just need to send a bunch of people down there to sit on senators (laughs) so they can't show up. (laughs) Sit on them. (laughs) It's my only defense. Uh, I only remembered this because I'd heard Linda Monk, author of the Bill of Rights, a user's guide, mention it on another podcast literally minutes before. So thanks, John O'Lore. Sarah Martinez, Kirsten Zolfo, Jennifer Bell, Casey Fox, Neil Campbell all want us to know Moby only knob touched Trump. All right. So that we got so much feedback on we, the Moby discussion that we had because apparently we we had thought or uh, Mandy had heard that he'd gone around touching dicks uh, at parties, touching <laughs> rubbing his dick on his one dick people, yeah. his one his <laughs> one dick. Unless he's got diphthalic tirada, which means he's Ooh, got two. That's a cool name. Two Moby dicks. <laughs> Uh, I learned that from Trivial Pursuit. I, I had that question when I was like 10 and I saved that card because I thought two penises was hilarious. <laughs> uh, the genus edition. Um, so anyway, apparently Moby only knob touched Trump at a party. Um, gotcha. So there we go. Amazing. John Kenley's uh, and Patrick Wilkin say on Sunday Night Daily Beans, you said... VP replacement is just a majority of the Senate. It's actually both House and Senate. So both House and Senate have to vote to replace the VP. Luke Weeks. <clears throat> Luke Weeks. I wanted to send this link to explain prime and also federal funds. Two different indices. LIBOR is set by banks in a survey. Prime is really Fed funds plus 300 in most, in most cases. So this is basically when I was talking about that whistleblower that came forward in a Deutsche Bank case. His son, his dad apparently was investigating some uh, Deutsche Bank investors that were um, manipulating the LIBOR. And I said LIBOR is how we set prime rates. But apparently LIBOR is set by banks in a survey and prime is Fed funds plus 300, whatever that is. So... <laughs> <clears throat> but there it is. That's real. Uh, he said, I spent 18 years working for a large investment bank and would be happy to help patriots like yourself keep up on the financial stuff. So thank oh, you. Thanks, Luke. Very much. That um, is much appreciated. And now I'm sure he'll send us another thing telling me what Fed funds plus 300 is. <laughs> uh, I just imagine that movie, you know. Um, the movie 300? Yeah. <laughs> Richard Dalwish uh, says, when I, AG said, I'm going to pour one out for my homie, refer, referring to Ellsberg, uh, that Ellsberg is not dead, and you usually only pour one out for your homie when they are dead. Oh. Uh, Gen- uh, Gerald 
let's see, Gerald Lott sent this weeks ago when it was fresh, he says, from sketchy stop Wi-Fi must have not gone through. Uh, so this is an old correction, I think is what he's saying. Netherlands is not part of the Five Eyes Intel community. That's Austria, Canada, New Zealand, US, and UK. Australia. Australia. Austria, mm. sorry. Australia, Canada, New Zealand, US, and UK. We get tons of good intel from the Dutch, but they're not included in the post-colonial remnant of which the Five Eyes comprised. Mm-hmm. Thank All you. Right. I thought Dutch was Five Eye. Nope. Australia, Canada, New Zealand. Canada? Sorry. (laughs) You get better shit from Canada than the Dutch. Anyway, those are corrections. If you have any, please head to MullerSheWrote.com. Click contact and select corrections and build us a compliment sandwich. We'll get it right eventually. We do have a lot of news to get to, so let's jump in with just the facts. All right. A long time ago, in a land far, far away, the House Judiciary Committee asked the Department of Justice for all the FBI interviews or 302s from the Mueller investigation. And this week in a court filing from the Justice Department, we learned that 17 of 33 of those 302s have been handed over. Uh, The 302s the House has received include John Kelly, Kushner, Rosenstein, uh, seven 302s from Manafort, uh, Chris Christie, Michael Cohen, he had six 302s, Rick Dearborn, uh, Adam Dillon, Corey Lewandowski, Mary McCord, KT McFarland had five 302s. Stefan Miller, or Stephen Miller, Stefan Miller, Stephen. Uh, Rob Porter had two 302s. Chris Ruddy, Sarah Fuckabee Sanders, Sean Spicy, and Sally Yates. The missing 302s that the DOJ has yet to produce uh, include Bannon, Comey, Eisenberg, Flynn, Gates, Hicks, McCabe, McGann, Priebus, and Jeff Sessions. Only, you know, not important ones at all. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. And the DOG said all the 302s have some redactions. They estimate about 15 to 20% are redacted. Um, not 15 to 20% of the 302s, but 50 to 20% of the content of all the 302s. The 302s uh, with Trump advisors Porter and Dillon are redacted 75% or more. Rob Porter and Dillon. Mm. Uh, the House agreed that redactions uh, that fall under Grand Jury Rule 6E could be redacted. So now we'll see how the court responds to the outstanding 302s not yet handed over. This filing was made in conjunction with the hearing that took place Tuesday regarding the House seeking the grand jury materials from the Mueller probe. And I'll go over that hearing in hot notes because it's a good one. And it's this is Barr that's not turning them over. Yeah, this Department of Justice. So they're not turning over Comey and McCabe's then because I imagine it's it's relatively exculpatory. Mm, yes. Like that word. I just learned it. In fact, remember the judge in the, <laughs> the judge in the McCabe case gave uh, the DOJ to October 15th to either indict McCabe or drop the case or he's going to release the 302s, McCabe's 302s. So that's coming up this Tuesday, that deadline. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be interesting, too. We could see that this week. Yeah, we have a lot of deadlines this week. Oh, God, yes. Big week. Mm-hmm. Um, crazy news on Friday from the New York Times that Deutsche Bank does not have Trump's tax returns. Um, we all know Deutsche Bank is the only financial institution that was willing to lend Trump money since, like, the 90s. And this week they told a federal appeals court uh, that it does not have Trump's personal tax returns. The case got back to the House Intel. Uh, this case goes back to the House Intel Committee and the House Financial Services Committees when they subpoenaed Deutsche Bank and Capital One. The federal judge ruled in favor of the House Dems, and Trump filed an appeal with the Department of Justice filing an amicus brief backing the president. The Second Circuit Court of Appeals, Merrick Garland, uh, in charge of that one is hearing the case uh, is comprised, the, but the panel he, there's only a three judge panel for this one two GWs and a Carter so two appointees are, are George W. Bush mm-hmm. and one is a Jimmy Carter last month the New York Times and other media outlets asked the Second Circuit to unseal a letter from Deutsche Bank that identified two members of the Trump family whose tax returns they did have and on Thursday the court rejected the request saying Deutsche Bank told the court that the only tax returns it has are not the president's 
The weird thing about that is that a bunch of current and former bank officials told the New York Times that they do have portions of Trump's personal tax and corporate returns that they collected in 2011 when they took Trump on as a client and needed the returns to approve a series of loans to Trump in early 2012 for properties in Doral and Chicago. Since then, they've lent Trump $170 million for his downtown D.C. hotel, and by the time he was sworn into office, he owed Deutsche Bank more than $300 million. So Deutsche Bank is saying, we offered him $300 million without seeing his tax returns. We don't have them. So the question Mm -hmm. here is, why don't they have the tax returns? Did they destroy them? Did they return them to Trump? Right. What happened? Or did they... did they truly just continue their streak of reckless, you know, practices and yeah, reckless lending and not actually have required to see the tax returns. So maybe they had some deal where it's like, trust me, you don't want to see my tax returns. Yeah. Or just (laughs) fill out these financial documents that show what I made and what I spent and what Mm -hmm. my shit's worth without any proof. Right. Kind of like those no interest, no income loans that were happening during the, before the housing crisis uh, with the predatory lending there. The way things operate in the upper echelons of society and the things that people are able to get away with based on just legacy and name mm-hmm. and and the it, sort of the flip side of that, if, if, if pe- poor people like it, it, it's expensive to be poor and you have to sell your soul to mm-hmm. get to and be you able have to survive. prove everything about yourself every single step of the exactly. way that you want exactly. any sort of assistance. So it's so frustrating. Opportunity. Yeah. That's why I like mm-hmm. the DMV. It's a great equalizer. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's miserable. You have to fucking go. You hang out in the Hollywood DMV. There's like famous people who just don't even want to fucking be there. You can't send your assistant to the DMV, and I love it. Yeah, every time I drive true. past the DMV, in the close, the one that's closest to my house in San Diego, I'm like, oh, you poor unfortunate souls. Yeah. There's always a lie, like wrapped around the always. block at like eight o'clock in the morning. Yep. Yeah. Don't go to that one. Go to the El Cajon. Oh, really? Yep. Get an appointment. You walk right in, right out. Noted. Also, PSA, everyone, get your real ID, because that's going to be required starting, I think, October of next year it is. Thank you, Jordan. You're welcome. It's required for travel. Oh. Mm-hmm. Ah. In California, you mean? Yeah. Yes. Well, I thought you meant for, for voting. I was like, no, we don't. Oh, no, no, no. It's literally called real ID, yeah. and it's like a new form of identification that everybody is required is to get. Yes. Yeah. Oh, like fuckers. flying, you have to I have, have a like passport. A, a new style license. That would probably work too. Yeah, I think a passport's yeah. fine. Better work. But but you no longer will be able to just use your driver's license trying to get on a plane. <sighs> if unless I'm, under, it's if a I'm new, understanding this correctly. Well, unless it's the driver's license, which falls has, under the real ID exactly, category. Exactly. Yeah. Unless, you're, unless you're rich. And then you don't probably need it to <laughs> yeah. travel. To travel on your private jet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also this week, the Senate Intel Committee, chaired by Republican Richard Burr, released a sweeping bipartisan report on the Russian efforts to elect Donald Trump using social media during the 2016 election, which deals a blow to current Trumpian efforts to push a conspiracy theory that Russia had nothing to do with the election interference. That's part of what he was asking Ukraine to do in exchange for reinstituting the U.S. military aid and investigating Joe Biden to get Zelensky to publicly question the findings of literally everyone everywhere that Russia interfered in our elections. In our uh, last week's interview with uh, Asha Rangappa, we talked about that and how that is just basically black propaganda. Not to mention, we now have that information about the Oval Office meeting with Lavrov and Kislyak, where Trump divulged Israeli intelligence to Russians about ISIS in Syria, which is now relevant, where Trump also acknowledged Russia interfered in our elections, but said it didn't bother him because America does it all the time. So this new report corroborates past findings by researchers, journalists, and the intelligence community uh, and the Senate committees that the IRA troll farm, the intelligence or the uh, international, what is it called? The Russian, what does the IRA stand for? Uh, Internet Research Agency. Internet Research Agency. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Troll farm sought to influence the 2016 election by Harmon Clinton and supporting Trump at the direction of the Kremlin. High up Putin. 
So this is basically a Republican-backed report from a co-equal branch of government, again saying Russia did it. It comes with a, a sign-off from the full Senate Intelligence Committee, including assholes like Roy Blunt Jr. and John Cornyn, who have said recently that Trump was only joking when he questioned Russian meddling or asked Ukraine and China to investigate the Bidens. So it seems like the Republican senators on this intel committee that know Russia interfered in our elections or any Russian senator who knows Russia interferes in our elections, their go-to defense for Trump is that he's only joking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is. They, they've said that time and time again. I think I've seen like Jim Jordan say mm-hmm. that, yeah. all of his super classic defenders. Yeah. And it's uh, obviously, I can't imagine they would... Like, how can you stand by that, that that's really going to be our standard of interpreting people's intent is just to arbitrarily decide that they're joking or not? Yeah. The president's words matter. Yes. No. <laughs> not anymore. They don't. <laughs> oh, it's so, so disgusting. It's such an insult to people's intelligence. Yes. And speaking of uh, social you know, social media influence. Yes, I know exactly what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> 2020 Democratic candidate Elizabeth Warren trolled so hard Zuckerberg this week. She ran a fake ad on Facebook saying Zuckerberg has endorsed Trump for president. Then down in the ad, she says, by the way, this is a lie. Uh, but because of Facebook's new rules about what people can say in political ads on their platform, I'm allowed to flat out lie to you. Wow. Facebook mm-hmm. came back and said, hey, if Warren wants to run lies, she's allowed to do that. Oh, my God. I did not see that. Yeah. Amazing. I'm so fucking mad at Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. He met uh, in the Oval Office privately with Trump. Yeah. And then their terms of service changed where they allow political ads to be dishonest they also have i can't remember her name but there's someone um who's like i'm pulling that up yeah head of global public policy or at least on the global public policy team who was literally like a senior republican strategist who strategist who worked with giuliani like you can't make this shit up yep jennifer cohen tweeted it cohen tweeted it and she tweets a lot so i'm going to find it really quick okay here it is chief digital strategist for national republican senatorial committee Mm -hmm. august 2009 to march 2011 harboth is facebook's head of global elections policy policy she literally worked for rudy giuliani i can't make this up that was from brandon friedman yeah yeah that the top of facebook there are so many republican operatives and right-wing operatives and i just love that that elizabeth warren was like all right here's a fake ad zuckerberg endorses trump for president and then says by the way this is a total lie and by the way facebook lets me make this i just i absolutely love it it's just i think it's probably one of the best way to combat false political advertisements on Facebook is by putting one out there and alerting people to it. Yeah. Uh, and and then maybe that people who see that ad will think twice when they see other political ads. Right. Yeah. So I, I just absolutely thought that was a brilliant troll. It's great. Yeah, it is. And luckily, Democrats who I imagine, or who do you think she was targeting with that ad? I wonder. Everybody maybe? Facebook users. Yeah. 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 I guess. If it were just Democrats, though, Democrats actually read things. Yeah. That's so they true. will see the fine print underneath that says that that was not an actual claim she was making. But effectively, it kind of is, though. Controversial statement. Democrats read things. Let's go back and look at the 2016 <laughs> primary to rehash that argument. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. No, I, you're right. And it's 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 really brilliant. What's frustrating is that Zuckerberg has said, oh, well, we'll let voters decide. I hated that statement. I, I hated that. You're going to let voters decide what ads you put in front of them are real or not yeah that's God, shouldn't they be able to trust sucks. you as a platform yeah uh because tv I mean, on tv you aren't allowed to put um false ads on television mm-hmm. uh that's against the rules right so it's just going to be a matter of when all of i mean the fec i guess effectively sort of legislates with facebook in mind and platforms like that in mind because i guarantee i can't say that I think <laughs> really hard <laughs> i think really hard that this is not going to be okay 
over time. Yeah, this will have to change, especially if we vote and get some Dems in office who can actually make laws that regulate this. Right, kind of shit because on the you internet. put money behind Facebook yeah. ads. So mm-hmm, how yeah. can you how can you use your campaign funds to finance ads that are fraudulent? How, and in 2016, they got caught with you know Russians putting ads in there, paying with rubles, and we're like, oh, sorry, we'll try to fix it, and now this is their solution. All right, we'll be right back. I can't stress enough how important lifelong learning is to me, and that's why I love Skillshare. Skillshare is an amazing online learning community for creators with over 25,000 classes in design, business, tech, and more. You can fuel your creativity, your career, or your curiosity by taking classes in social media marketing, mobile photography, creative writing, or illustration. Uh, And whether you're looking to keep current or discover a new passion or start a side hustle in the gig economy, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. Here at Muller She Wrote, we're about to start offering video content for our patrons, so I'm taking a class on video editing, and I can't say enough about how easy and effective their learning environment is. I was surprised to learn how much time and money I'm going to save by spending a little time on the front end to learn a skill and, and save so much time on the back end, and that's why lifelong learning is so important to me as a creator. So join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a free special offer just for our listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for free. That's right. Skillshare is offering Muller She Wrote listeners two months of unlimited access to over 25,000 classes for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com AG. Again, that's Skillshare.com AG to start your two months now. Skillshare.com AG. You'll be glad you did. All right. Welcome back. Uh, we learned Tuesday of this week that Michael Cohen, the OG fixer, is going to be brought back to New York for more proffer with the state prosecutors, which could result in Cohen testifying before the grand jury. Oh, Merry Christmas, Cohen. Yeah. That's all he wanted. <laughs> <laughs> this will be the third time he's met with prosecutors, and it's said that it will happen this month in October. This is according to law enforcement, a, a law enforcement official with knowledge of the meetings. Uh, this is part of the Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance's investigation, and the meeting will take place with Vance's general counsel and the head of Economic Crimes Bureau. We at Mueller, she wrote, noted that letters about this case have been co-signed by Vance and the Major Economic Crimes Unit. And that's significant because the Economic Crimes Bureau specializes in prosecution relating to securities, commodities, investment fraud, mortgage fraud, financial institution fraud, commercial bribery, kickbacks, bank fraud, structured investment schemes, Internet fraud, international money laundering and terror financing. On its face, this particular case is about whether the Trump organization violated New York state law when it falsified its records in describing the reimbursement to Cohen for the hush money payments to Karen McDougal and Stormy Daniels. Vance has also asked for eight years of Trump's tax records so they can establish definitive proof of whether the money has or how the money has been allocated, where it's gone. And this week, a judge rejected the president's argument that he's immune from criminal prosecution. That was Judge Marrero. Uh, he dismissed Trump's lawsuit to block Vance's subpoena. And Marrero dismissed Trump's case Monday, though within minutes, Trump appealed to the Second Circuit. Uh, and there's a temporary stay, so Trump doesn't have to hand over his taxes pending the appeal. This ruling, uh, if it goes to SCOTUS, would be the first time SCOTUS would rule whether a president could be investigated for a crime while in office. Uh, and the Constitution doesn't explicitly say he can or cannot. Um, So this is a precedent-setting case. According to CNN, Cohen is not looking to trade for a lighter sentence. He's meeting with Vance's office without any limitations. Uh, And if Trump is indicted in New York State, that would likely be used as proof in an impeachment trial. And New York State does not fall under the restrictions of the Office of Legal Counsel memo that disallows the indictment of a sitting president. Right. So it would override that OLC memo. It would. Finally. Fuck. Yeah, if they decide that way. And I think he'll appeal and bonk or appeal to SCOTUS or both as well in this case. 
And speaking of impeachment, Romney appears to be taking the temperature of fellow Republican senators on impeachment and removal. I think our longest standing unanswered beans revolves around the idea that Romney would flip enough senators to remove Trump if he was impeached in the House. And something of note in the last episode, uh, and this came up in the corrections, I, I spoke about needing 67 senators to vote. That's not exactly true. Uh, as we were corrected in the beginning, it's two thirds of the senators that are there. So we just have to show up and sit on the senators. <laughs> Um, maybe we can run a special at the Cracker Barrel that day. <laughs> Lure 20 Republican senators out of the building. We might have a better chance. Or Applebee's or Chili's or <laughs> something. You know. uh, Schlotzky's. <laughs> you wearing enough flair? Yeah, but we would, you know, if, if fewer people showed up, we would have a better chance uh, of the white, if the white horse prophecy does not come to pass. I got a correction on the white horse prophecy. Oh, good. I can make it quick. Cool. Um, so I don't know if she's comfortable with me using her name, so I will only divulge that she is a she and continue. So she says that uh, I disagree that it's defunct, the white horse prophecy uh, prophecy <laughs> and that people don't believe it it may not be a teaching that the church leaders talk about but i heard it quoted enough times in sunday school fourth of july celebrations damn near every day of the 2012 romney versus obama election seminary and from my mother-in-law that i will fight to the death about it not being a mainstream belief believing mormons <laughs> will tell you it's not an underlying belief because it uh oh the, sorry okay that that sentence doesn't make sense anyway she says she believes it's characterized as mormon folklore but that essentially it's it seems to be like a pretty prevalent theory still right. amongst mormons. why do practicing mormons not want me to think it's because i think they'll think that they're crazy i think that's what she was getting at with this sentence i just oh it's up. not all the rest of it it's this I, this is probably one of the mo more sane prophecies so i've she, heard in the mormon <laughs> religion she was like, we don't we don't we don't we don't teach that it's not like a mainstream teaching but like behind the scenes everyone still believes yeah, it yeah she's so she's an ex-mormon i'm pretty sure well she says as the mormon who told you about the white horse prophecy that was her preface. oh all right yeah um and i believe she's ex-mormon but i don't think i saw that first sorry if i'm totally fucking up your life right now well interesting <laughs> if you are mormon or ex-mormon or jack mormon i would love to hear what you have to say about the white yeah. horse prophecy mm -hmm. is it still a thing is it still a thing is it still a thing y'all yeah, yeah. still talking about it yeah what's yeah. happening what's up what's You're up praying on it? was it used in 2012 what's the deal in the romney election uh, is it defunct? Why? Uh, is Bart going to go to war with Mormons and they're going <laughs> to It's going to be like... Why are you ashamed of the White Horse Prophecy if if, if that is in fact why you don't want it to be uh, mainstream and, and not folklore? I really want to know. Uh, mm -hmm. And no judgment, honestly. Yeah, totally. Um, so, Romney, this he's actually taking the temperature of other Republican senators. And here's an interesting story I found buried in the news this week. Venezuela could lose Sitgo to Rosneft unless the U.S. Treasury and Steve intervene. So basically, Maduro, the sanctioned leader of Venezuela, borrowed $1.5 billion uh, from Russia or Rosneft in bonds. And he has a payment of over $900 million due this month. If, if he doesn't pay, uh, Rosneft can collect on the debt uh, because Maduro put 49.9% of, of the shares up as collateral for the loan from Russia. Now, the U.S. and 56 other countries recognize Guaido as the leader of Venezuela, not Maduro. But apparently, Guaido made a $71 million payment on the debt, an interest payment, and many believe that payment legitimized the loan contract between Maduro and Russia. But a source close to the company's case says that making an interest payment doesn't concede the legality of the debt, and that making certain payments um, to avoid default does not waive the legal claim that the transfer was fraudulent. Sitgo is a 110-year-old company bought by Venezuela in 1986 and is viewed by many as the key back into U.S. markets once the Treasury lifts its sanctions. 
the transfer of ownership from Venezuela to Rosneft would be triggered by a default on that $913 million payment that is coming due on October 27th. The bondholders would have the right to seize 50.1% of the shares of Citgo, thanks to a special license to circumvent the U.S. sanctions issued by Steve that allow bondholders to have a recourse if Maduro defaults. Well, Maduro is not the recognized president anymore, but the U.S. Treasury would have to intervene to prevent the majority of the shares to be handed over to Rosneft by Maduro, who has tried to sell Sitco several times in the past. If the U.S. Treasury allows the default, I'd be very interested to see what kind of money came from Rosneft or Maduro to the Treasury, Steve, or personally or otherwise. So look for discussions on it in that code word classified nice system Mm -hmm. in the White House. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Venezuela is about to lose Sitco to Rosneft. Damn. Bummer. Yeah, that is a bummer. Uh, and there's a major tie between the Mueller probe and the Ukraine clown posse. You'll be surprised to hear who it is. Jordan has that for us in Hot Notes. Mm-hmm. And Shep Smith has left Fox News. According to some, he had just about had enough of it last month after trying in vain sometimes to make sure that accurate information was getting on Fox News. Okay, now is the straw that breaks the camel's back. Yeah, last year he told a Time Magazine reporter, quote, I wonder if I stopped delivering the facts, what would go in its place, in this place that is the most watched, uh, most listened, and most trusted? I don't know. But sometime in September, according to a well-placed source, he went to Fox News management and asked to be let out of his contract because of infighting with other show hosts and it was getting to be too much for him and Fox wasn't backing him. For example, on September 8th, Tucker Carlson mocked Shep uh, for standing up for Andrew Napolitano after the judge was called a fool by one of Tucker's guests. The network failed to support Shep on that and in many other instances of fifth gradery, I guess. Uh, Executives tried to get him to stay, but on Friday he announced his departure bluntly on the air and then quickly and quietly left, clearly emotional because he'd been there for over 20 years. As Jen Kirkman said on Twitter, welcome to podcasting, Shep. (laughs) Something odd about the departure that sticks in my craw, Murdoch met with Bill Barr the day before Shepard left. Or Shep, I don't know if his name is Shepard. Shep Smith left. Huh. I don't know if that was a uh, some sort of weird state-run journalism push-out, right. but, but you know, mm. it seems to know from sources that Shep's been wanting to leave for a while. Yeah, I could definitely see him just wanting to leave on his own accord, but I could also see someone behind the scenes that's politically motivated trying to get him out. He may have also, yeah, he may have left because he heard word that he was going to be pushed out. Yeah, yeah, or you can simultaneously hate your job at Fox because there's mm-hmm. a bunch of crazy liars mm-hmm. and their children, and somebody has somebody pushes you out because from you're the one of the because only voices of, the... of semi reason right yeah, on that network. Or maybe somewhere in the middle, people that are Trump sympathizers were advising the people on the board that were interacting with him and his complaints about his co-hosts or and on other shows to just stay steadfast and not support him at all in his criticisms yeah i don't think those things are mutually exclusive yeah yeah i won't pretend to know a lot about shep smith but the only thing i do know about him is that when i flip through the channels and i land on fox news which i occasionally watch just to his eyebrows are on hear fleek. what the other yeah, mm-hmm. hear what the other side is saying he is one of the only people who doesn't make me want to gouge my eyeballs out yeah, that's true. I mean, he's, he's one of the ones. Him and Chris Wallace. Yeah, him yeah. and Chris Wallace. Judge Napolitano now is, is uh, mm-hmm. and they're, you know, not mm-hmm. on the Trump train, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, yeah, mm-hmm. 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 At least not all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, mm-hmm. I wonder what he's going to do now, right? Podcasting. Yeah. Come be on the show. Not mine, but, you know, make your own. I hope he comes over to CNN. That would be interesting. That would be really interesting. Dude, that would be smart, though, of CNN and probably not MSNBC. They're just way too far to the left. But someone like CNN trying to create some sort of appeal to people that are moderate Republicans on their network. Are there other former Fox News commentators on CNN? There are, aren't there? Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Interesting. 
All right, uh, we'll be right back with Hot Notes and the Fantasy Indictment League is lit. AG here, and as I'm sure you're aware, uh, resisting Trump is my passion, but sometimes the onslaught of insane news is too much, and I need some me time. I need a break, and I have a lot of self-care rituals, but one of my favorites, uh, I get in the bath and I play this puzzle game. It's a new puzzle game called Best Fiends. It's super zen, because while it's strategic, it has this neat story. It's uh, beautifully simple. It's a casual game anyone can play. It's for adults. Uh, you can spend as much time or as little time as you want uh, I usually jump on and play for about a half hour or so. I'm on level 44 now. I'm very good. And it's a perfect puzzle game to keep my brain stimulated while also being incredibly relaxing. Uh, it's beautifully designed. You collect fiends that help you defeat slugs that have, like, totally infested this planet. And I like to imagine the slugs are, like, you know, Rob Porter and... Manafort. And my favorite part is that it's not timed, so there's no pressure or stress. Uh, it's just a great puzzle game that helps me relax and recharge. You need to try it. They're always adding new levels and events. It never gets old. Uh, and the creators treat the game like a service for their players. It has 100 million downloads globally, and you don't need the internet to play, so I love to pass the time on it when I'm, when I'm on the plane. Uh, engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters, too. Five-star rated mobile puzzle game on the Apple App Store and Google Play. You download free at the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best fiends. All right, welcome back. Hot notes. Hey, welcome back. Today in Hot Notes, I'm going to cover the case about Mueller's grand jury materials that could determine whether the House vote is needed to move forward with impeachment. But first, Jordan, you have a story about uh, another way the current Ukraine scandal is tied to Mueller. Yeah, this is kind of a flashback some of this information it's stuff that sort of got skipped over i think without the context of all this corruption that's going on with ukraine but it's pretty crazy so today my hot note is about a classified state department assessment from 2018 that concluded that ukraine's last prosecutor general lechenko uh, allowed for kalimnik to escape from ukraine to moscow after the u.s had charged him with obstruction of justice so this basically made it so it was no longer possible for the u.s to get him and uh, get him in for questioning and more importantly right for like trial ultimately uh, this assessment was made by interviewing ukrainian officials and an organization called nabu which stands for the national anti-corruption bureau of ukraine nabu nabu they said that not only did lutsenko allow kalimnik to escape uh, he also helped end multiple investigations into paul manafort so he was a huge ally to the trump campaign as a result, oh, we all go. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. As a result, uh, it is now being suggested that the House expand its investigation of Ukraine Gate to this fleeing of Kalimnik, as well as the thwarting of those investigations into Manafort, as it's becoming increasingly clear that the Trump campaign has been soliciting help from Ukrainian officials for quite some time now for their own personal gain, and like you said, AG, to absolutely no benefit of the American people. Uh, since Manafort was deemed a non-credible witness, Kalimnik was potentially the only other person who Mueller could have gotten answers from, right, regarding the sharing of campaign polling data that was shared by Manafort and passed on ultimately to Oleg Deripaska. So all of this uh, was happening under President Poroshenko, and the State Department noted that during this time, Poroshenko 
was awaiting military aid from Trump, similarly to how Zelensky, we now know, is awaiting, awaiting military aid from Trump when he was being asked to do him solids. And then in May 2018, three U.S. senators actually wrote a letter to Litsenko, he was the former prosecutor general, expressing concern about his manipulations of the investigations. The letter said, We are writing to express great concern about reports that your office has taken steps to impede cooperation with the United States Special Counsel Robert Mueller. This reported refusal to cooperate with the Mueller probe also sends a worrying signal to the Ukrainian people as well as the international community, end quote. Uh, and then this is new to me. So as, during a meeting in January with Giuliani, Lutsenko apparently said that he was going to direct his office to take steps to reopen up those Hunter Biden investigations. Uh, so this is just more quid pro quo stuff with Giuliani it's looking like and it's it's very uh I think it's frustrating probably to to hear it's frustrating for me personally to hear about all of this in the context of Ukraine gate because it's like they they their efforts to obstruct justice during the Mueller probe were successful enough that this sort of flew under the radar when it really would have been very illuminating and Ukraine gate may have been able to sort of kick off all the way back then and we wouldn't have had to wait till now, but that's wow. where we're at. Wow. Thanks, Jordan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for that reporting. Yeah. Also, um, this just in across my desk, unconfirmed disputed report that Yevgeny Prigozhin is dead. Whoa. Following a plane crash uh, Whoa. in the DRC. Uh, it's all in Russian. I'll have to translate it and we'll get back and we'll get more to you uh, in tomorrow's Daily Beans or Tuesday's Daily Beans. But um, that is interesting Damn. he and his companies provided significant funding to the agency that allegedly used the ira that's that's Pergosian. yeah uh, and apparently he's reportedly dead but there are disputes still unconfirmed oh. um still unconfirmed apparently it happened on the 11th of october Interesting. Yeah, some good arguments against Prigozhin's death, all in Russian. I'm gonna have to look. <laughs> I'm gonna have to look into this more. It's all in Russian, and get back to you guys. But uh, so that is unsourced, unconfirmed, um, and there are good arguments against it. But I just wanted to bring that up because it kind of goes back and ties into, you know, the the Internet Research Agency and all that. So, um, let's see here. Tuesday, um, there was a major hearing in front of Judge Beryl Howell in the case filed by the House Judiciary to obtain the grand jury materials from the investigation. Do you remember this? This is when Nadler filed um, to the court and says, we want the grand jury materials using our full Article I uh, mm-hmm. powers, including and up to impeachment. That's when I thought the impeachment uh, uh, inquiry officially began. This was well before Nancy Pelosi announced it, though, and made her little public announcement, or big public announcement, I should say. Dems have reason to believe that the grand jury materials will show that Trump lied to Mueller when he said he was unaware of the timing of WikiLeaks, WikiLeaks dumps uh, of the Russian hack materials from the DNC, DCCC, and Podesta. The proof of that lie, and perhaps others, would play significantly in the current impeachment inquiry being conducted by House Intelligence, Foreign Affairs, and Oversight. Lawyers from the Justice Department argued Tuesday to deny the House Judiciary request for the grand jury materials, saying that despite legal rulings during the impeachment inquiry into Nixon, the courts in 1974 were wrong to have given Congress the Sirica roadmap uh, and grand jury materials. Judge Howell responded to that assertion by saying, 
okay, wow. (laughs) (laughs) As I said, the department is taking extraordinary positions in this case, is what she said. And as we know, Trump is arguing that the Manhattan DA, um, in that case, that a president can't be investigated or prosecuted under criminal law. And in a Mazar's appeal case this week, a Second Circuit panel disagreed two to one. But the dissenter in that case, Judge Rao, a Trump appointee, said that a president can't be subject to criminal investigations because we have impeachment. And now the Trump camp, backed by the Department of Justice, is saying that a president can't be impeached either because it's an illegitimate impeachment inquiry. But in this case about the uh, about the grand jury materials, Judge Hal seemed uh, to do like one two hour long eye roll the entire time the Trump lawyer was there. Shapiro is her name and argued Trump's position. Hal called the stance that Nixon was decided incorrectly uh, and Judge Sirica was wrong, one of several extreme arguments in her case. Uh, Hal is a 2010 Obama appointee and she pressed Shapiro on whether the Department of Justice now viewed Sirica's landmark ruling as wrongly decided when he ruled to transfer a sealed report and grand jury evidence to the House investigators who prepared Nixon's articles of impeachment. The Sirica roadmap, as it's become, as it's come to be known, uh, gave Congress evidence that Nixon was guilty of multiple criminal felonies Um in you know for the break-in and subsequent cover-up of Watergate the evidence was so damning that Nixon resigned before he could be impeached and the Nixon case was appealed and Nixon lost because the court found the House impeachment investigation and Senate trial to qualify under an exemption that allows prosecutors to share information preliminary to or in connection with a judicial proceeding uh, and in this request for the Mueller grand jury materials House counsel Doug Letter asked Judge Howe to order the release of the redacted portions of the Mueller report and the grand jury materials and the grand jury witness statements to Congress under the judicial proceeding exception, just as had been done by Sirica during Watergate and as upheld by the appellate court afterwards. But the Justice Department argues that in a decision this year, the D.C. appellate court um, uh, basically changed grand jury secrecy requirements uh, in a way that would exclude impeachment inquiries. Uh, that was the case we talked about, McKeever versus Barr, um, that struck down one factor relied upon by Sirica in finding the, that contrary to his 1974 ruling, judges have no inherent authority to release grand jury materials. But when the public interest outweighs the need for secrecy, however, um, it does. And, so, and, and this is even in a footnote. And maybe Shapiro and Trump and the Department of Justice missed this footnote. That decision carried a footnote, the McKeever-Barr decision carried a footnote, that still qualified, that says, um, that agreed with Sirica specifically, named Sirica, and said that is correct. What Sirica did was correct because impeachment still qualifies as a judicial proceeding. So the case that Trump is citing has a footnote in it that says Sirica did it right. Yeah. What a fucking dumbass. Um, yeah. And that makes Trump's argument totally moot. So Hal did not say uh, how or when she would rule, but the writing is on the wall, if you ask me, with her, okay, wow, uh, <laughs> retort. <laughs> Okay, wow. Um, She ordered Department of Justice lawyers to explain by Friday why prosecutors aren't sharing grand jury materials under another exception that allows prosecutors to give federal or foreign officials information about grave hostile acts of a foreign power or clandestine intelligence gathering. She also ordered the Department of Justice to disclose how many and which of the 
lose it pledged to hand over. That's the story we opened with at the top of the show. She wanted to know the legal basis for refusing to hand over all the 302s of witnesses that did not appear before the grand jury as they are not protected by grand jury secrecy rules. And as we reported at the top of the show, the Department of Justice has handed 17 of the 33 302s over that were asked for. And so she's saying, I need to know by Friday why you haven't handed them all over. She didn't ask about the redactions, but a lot of them had redactions and two from Dylan and Rob Porter were 75% redacted. And those are about conversations with the president. Uh, That's not protected under grand jury secrecy. Uh, This case started before the Ukraine scandal broke and Pelosi announced an official impeachment inquiry. Uh, And Doug Letter told the judge that Pelosi's impeachment was not limited to Ukraine, but included an umbrella of pending investigations ongoing by six different committees, which she was careful to say in her announcement. If you remember, she did mention that uh, Pelosi did. And the letter said that Pelosi supports or Doug Letter said that uh, Pelosi supports his argument for the umbrella statement that it it could go Mm -hmm. well beyond Ukraine. If Howell rules that the grand jury materials must be handed over, which I believe she will, she is thereby saying that the materials are being handed over because impeachment is a judicial proceeding, just like it said in McKeever and just like it said in Nixon. That ruling would, ipso facto, verify that there is, in fact, a legitimate impeachment underway. Uh, I believe this is one of the most important cases in our era because it not only would get the grand jury materials to Congress that could show Trump lied to prosecutors and committed other criminal felonies, not that federal crimes are needed to impeach, but that would certainly bolster the case for impeachment, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the Senate. But it could lead to Trump's resignation. Uh, and, you know, knowing Republican senators can't hold the line any longer if there are actual crim- crimes. Uh, and it would legitimize the impeachment, thereby removing Trump's last argument for not cooperating, meaning any stonewalling from uh, after that would definitely be obstruction of Congress. It would also shore up all other cases in the court right now, relying on Article One powers that effectively turn the House into a grand jury. So I'm hoping she rules this week. But man, if we could get this absolutely historical ruling and Rudy were arrested and Trump were indicted in New York, there'd be like no way out. So if anyone tries to tell you Mueller has nothing to do with this and he failed, you can remind them that none of this would be possible without him, his grand jury materials and the work of his team. Mm-hmm. It also just blows my mind. It's like, who is the report for then? If you're going to continue to have so many redactions for all the people that need to see the unredacted parts to make an accurate judgment yeah. on, on him and his character and the totality of all of this evidence, as Mueller says. They would argue just Mueller. Right. Right. <laughs> she threw her hands yeah. into the air. <laughs> because he can't indict a president. Congress has to have the right to impeach. They have to have yes. access to the evidence, which is why they gave it over in Nixon. Why in the McKeever versus Barr ruling, they said, yeah, judges don't have inherent power to hand over grand jury materials, except in stuff like Sirica when there's an impeachment because impeachment is a judicial proceeding. Mm-hmm. It's been held up. It's never been gone against. And yeah. and there's no reason for Judge Braille Howell to rule against this. I think she'll rule for it. There probably will be an appeal. We could hear in the Supreme Court this case again. But SCOTUS would have to uphold this because it's noted in so many previous cases, uh, even from the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court just ruled on this McKeever bar thing where they said Sirica did the right thing. And this is exactly what they're trying to do here. So it's just uh, there's just no way out. I think he's just trying to run out the clock. Uh, Are you guys ready for sabotage? Yes. All right, Kaludi Rudy is now the target of an investigation by the office he used to run, the Southern District of New York, and likely by a unit headed by a former Mueller prosecutor. 
Rudy is being investigated for violations of the Foreign Agents Registration Act uh, for lobbying on behalf of Ukraine without registering with the Department of Justice, specifically when he got information from Fertosh, who was likely paying him through a shell company called Fraud Guarantee, set up by Parnas and Fruman, and disseminated uh, that stuff he got from Fertosh to American journalists like Solomon and on TV news networks like Fox. That's fucking illegal. Uh, and the brand new shiny Farah Enforcement Unit set up in the Department of Justice and headed by Brandon Van Grack is probably investigating it. Uh, Van, Van Grack was formerly of Mueller's team. And that's not uh, being reported. Those are just my beans uh, that it's being looked at by, by Van Grack's Farah unit in the Department of Justice. And it's just as porn for me to think that the Southern District of New York, which Rudy used to run, and the Farah unit, headed by a former Mueller team member, could bring him down. Uh, Rudy has said he's not being he's not been contacted or interviewed like that's a good thing Uh, he must not remember much from his days heading up the Southern District of New York because if you're not being interviewed you're the fucking target so that's the sabotage for this week fantastic are you ready for the fantasy indictment league yeah hell yeah I'm gonna be indicted no wait it's gonna be a indicted honey dick indicted I get to go first today. I'm so excited about that. And if you had a rando Igor or either Parnas or Fruman by name or Korea or Kukushkin by name, give yourself a point and congratulations. Um, they were indicted and three of them were arrested. I think uh, Korea is still at large. And if you had four randos, you're going to get four points. But give yourself a point apiece for who, for you if you had an Igor or any other randos. More in um, Monday morning's Daily Beans. We go over um, that arrest and that indictment really in depth. So check out the Daily Beans, our sister podcast that comes out Monday morning, uh, October 14th. So you'll get to hear that. Uh, I get to go first. I'm going to go with Rudy Giuliani. Nice. Saw that one coming. Did you? <laughs> Um, I'm going to say superseding Lev Parnas indictments. All right. Superseding Lev Parnas, you said. I'm going to go superseding uh, Fruman. Makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay. I will go. Mm. You getting all this? You getting all this? You getting all this? All right, cool. Just making sure. I just got to keep Tom Barrick on my list. Got to do Barrick? All right, cool. I'm going to go with Jacob Wool. Fuck that guy. I know. Uh, I'm going to do AMI. <laughs> nice. I did well. I'm going to do uh, Nader. Yes. George, not Ralph. Mm-hmm. <laughs> going to do Pecker. You've selected Pecker. And I'm going to go with... Shit. I got... Mm, jizz Lane. Life in the Jizz Lane. Uh, I will do Trump Org. I'm that putting was all my, my beans that was who I was, Vance. That's who I was trying. That's who I was like. Flow. I was like, should I do mm. Trump Org or Calamari Weisselberg? Should I go that route or should I stick with the with the Gislaine Nader sort of disgusting people? All right. Um, we'll be right back with the interview. This week's interview is everything. Um, it's Ducky. Uh, it's Lex Luthor. It's fantastic it's john crier uh, incredible activist amazing actor super funny very intelligent i think you're going to really like this interview so uh stick around we'll be right back with it mm-hmm. 
Hey everybody, it's AG, and I know nutrition and health are on everyone's minds. Uh, when and how much to eat, how to manage your time around meals and meal prep, uh, and there's so much conflicting information, it's enough to deal, derail your self-care journey. Um, I love meal plans because they're convenient, but a lot of them fail to take my specific needs into account. But Kettlebell Kitchen knows that meal planning is not one-size-fits-all, and that's why they offer a delicious and personalized solution. Kettlebell Kitchen was founded by two veterans, yay, I'm a veteran, and a chef, with the goal to help you achieve your goals with meal plans tailored to your needs. Their team of nutritionists help you create a sustainable health plan that honors your body's unique needs. And it's flexible. You can set up a plan or order a la carte with no long-term contracts. It's convenient and fresh with delivery to your door twice a week. And they're tailored to your goals. Whether you're slimming down, bulking up, or just in it for the convenience, they have a plan for you. Uh, I personally intermittently fast, and I eat paleo, and they put together the perfect plan for me. I can filter by calorie, protein, fat, and carb limits. Uh, and all their meals are free of dairy, soy, artificial sweeteners, and they're naturally free of gluten. My favorites are the salmon and the salmon cakes and the pork medallions uh, with cauliflower mash. It's so good. But they have tons to choose from. So variety, deliciousness, and convenience. So feed the champion in you with Kettlebell Kitchen. Go to kettlebellkitchen.com and enter code MSW for $25 off each of your first two orders for new customers. That's $25 off each of your first two orders at kettlebellkitchen.com using code MSW at checkout. You'll be glad you did. Joining us today for the interview is activist and actor from Two and a Half Men, Supergirl on the CW, and my favorites, although probably not as relevant anymore, Hiding Out and Pretty in Pink, Mr. John Cryer. John, thanks for being on Muller, She Wrote. Oh, hey, I'm glad to be here. I'm so glad you're here. Um, I've been following you on Twitter um, for a while now, and I'm, I'm, I was interested in getting your opinion on a couple of things today. Um, first, you and I had chatted a bit before the interview about House Democrats limiting the scope of impeachment and putting all their eggs in the Ukraine basket, as you said. And we know Pelosi has said she wants to focus solely on the Ukraine issue, despite knowing that there are other calls hidden in that code word classified system, like with Putin and Mohammed bin Salman, and not to mention the entire Mueller investigation, emoluments violation, abuses of power, like when he uh, sort of pressured the postmaster general to double Bezos's shipping fees because he owns the Washington Post. And then, of course, tax and finance felonies. But I was wondering how you feel about keeping the focus really narrow and on Ukraine. Uh, I, I've been of two minds and I've actually been lucky enough to, to have some communications with some uh, people in Congress uh, about this, uh, mostly because I just rant all the time on Twitter <laughs> and uh, I've been lucky enough to connect with some of them. But um, uh, I, I, I understand the the logic of keeping it uh, as simple as possible. Uh, clearly, you know, the Ukraine situation is 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 a fairly simple, uh, you know, egregious abuse of power as egregious abuses of power go. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, although, by the way, it seems like more levels of it are unfolding as we speak. Uh, you know, uh, you know, we've uh, seen Parnas and Par and uh, and and uh, Fruman uh, arrested, and Giuliani is now under investigation. Although it's not technically for the Ukraine uh, situation, at least it's not clear if it's that yet. Um, so there appear to be this is this is a flower that's unfolding as we speak. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, so uh, so I, I I have mixed feelings about it um, because you know it's it's gaining levels. Of, you know, if the idea was to keep it simple, uh, this appears to be gaining levels of complication 
by the minute. Um, and I, I'm also, you know, a, a, a one of those people who's been raging since May of, of 2017 that, you know, just uh, asking James Comey to, uh, uh, you know, to let Michael Flynn go, that's, uh, that's an abuse of power that is an impeachable offense. That is when he should have been impeached, frankly. Uh, <laughs> you know, after James Comey testified, uh, the impeachment should have begun then. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, 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 I understand why a lot of um, uh, people in Congress have sort of lost heart to some degree in terms of the, the public being able to keep the thread, uh, you know, and, and the, the, the public being able to understand, uh, you know, all, all these things that, are, that, the, that Trump seems to be doing. Um, but I, I've always felt that, you know, all those things have to matter, too. Uh, you know, the Mueller report is, the, you know, those uh, uh, there are five indictable uh, cases of obstruction of justice in there. You know, even one of them should have had him removed from office. Um, you know, uh, so uh, it, it, that can't not mean anything. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100 percent. And, and you know, we also have to remember, while half of this Ukraine scandal, that the at least the part that Pelosi seems to be focusing on, is the you know the direct ask uh, or actually bribery to get Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden and Joe Biden's son, uh, the other half of this is based on uh, f- trying to get them to get on the propaganda wagon of saying that the 2016 election was not hacked by Russia, but rather Ukraine with the help of the Democrats, that whole conspiracy theory funded by Fertosh. And so they're inextricably linked. And I'm of two minds, too. I'm with you on this because I feel like you... If you're going to make one of the articles of impeachment obstruction of Congress with all the stonewalling in the Ukraine situation, how can you leave out those at least five purely obvious criminal obstruction of justice felonies that were uh, uncovered by Mueller? It's it seems hard and if not impossible to separate. But maybe maybe they make the articles of impeachment more complex, but keep the public message simple. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, 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 it's, I, I, as I said, I get the conundrum that that people in Congress are facing because, you know, obviously the, the Mueller report came out and it was damning. But because Bill Barr said what he said, it, you know, the, the impact of it was dampened greatly. Uh, uh, and I really thought at the time that that would totally, uh, you know, uh, bite him in the ass, that that now it would look like a cover up and people would just rise up in in, in rage right right away and that did not occur <laughs> um so i can see why congress people are are unsure what will resonate with the public um and, and and interestingly in talking with them there's still a fair amount of confusion amongst them uh as well and and this doesn't you know uh, provoke a lot of confidence but uh uh they don't know exactly how to handle it at, at this point it's such a blizzard of wrongdoing that nobody knows exactly what to do and it, you know if you go back in history Obviously, the you know you read the articles of impeachment that were against Andrew Johnson, and there's I mean there's everything in the kitchen sink in there. You know I don't know how they possibly limited the 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 debate on that. I don't know how they they handled it because there's a, there's a lot. 
Yeah, and they might have had um, different attention spans at that point uh, in our history as well. Yes, perhaps. <laughs> um, and, and that's not you know saying that it's worse or better now. It's just that we are inundated with so much data on an hourly basis that you know that's just kind of how we operate. And you know, I think the blizzard of wrongdoing could be by design for that very reason. But my argument for impeachment was always that it's it's Congress's duty. If you don't impeach him for this, what who's impeachable? Yeah. And uh, you know, as a veteran who who signed up and didn't have bone spurs and fought for the Constitution, um, that was my whole argument was that you know this is your constitutional duty, and I'm wondering if it undermines that constitutional duty or slip sides it in some way by not putting everything he's impeachable for in those articles. But I can also see, like you said, the benefits of not doing that. Yeah, it, this is such an unprecedented um, uh, situation, at least at least in the modern era. I don't know if the, you know, the teapot dome situation, I don't know if that freaked everybody out the same amount. But, um, but yeah, you know, it's testing the institutions. And, and so far, they don't know how to handle it. I mean, you know, what we've got is basically a wannabe mobster in the White House who's, uh, you know, who's who's testing this every possible way. Uh, and and so far, you know, we our our system wasn't built for that. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. We, I think we have to uh, attack the autocracy now because the next fascist might not be this stupid. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Thank goodness he's so dumb <laughs> and, you know, and contradicts himself. And, you know, you know, when when you talk with supporters of his, most of them are still supporters because they're not paying attention. They're sort of ignoring, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they, they find ways to be in denial of, of huge amounts of, of information. Um, but, you know, but, as, but you're right. I mean, somebody is going to do this and realize that, you know, you know, by, by, I mean, just that Bill Barr has, has revealed to us that, you know, having a, uh, a, 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 an attorney general who's willing to completely mislead the public, um, and, and is willing to abet, uh, you know, your, you know, your, your more ridiculous activities, um, you know, I, I, I didn't realize that, uh, you know, I, I can't say that before this, I realized that having somebody in that position was so powerful. Yeah, no, that's that's real. And, uh, you know, in fact, a lot of people uh, go after Mueller for for, you know, missing the boat. But I think that his missing the boat had a lot to do with Rod Rosenstein forming his narrow, narrow lane and saying he'll land the plane. And then also Bill Barr's release uh, of of his findings, which I think are uh, thorough and incredible and no different from these Ukraine findings. I mean, they're basically the same. It's just a different country. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, along those lines, there have been benefits that we've seen from the narrowing of the scope of the Ukraine impeachment scandal or the impeachment inquiry that's going on here. Not that impeachment is a scandal, but Ukraine definitely is, um, especially for the press and the public. For, so, for example, in a one-on-one -on -one interview with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo after his appearance at some religious freedom bullshit conference, uh, Nashville, <laughs> there was a Nashville reporter, our tax dollars pay for that shit. That drives me nuts. Uh, oh, and, and that, any, that anybody in this government talks about religious freedom and yet uh, stands behind the Muslim ban. Yeah. Uh, yes, and I know they changed it to, no, no, it's just countries now <laughs> that just happen to mostly be uh, majority Muslim countries. Yeah, whatever. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a it's a Muslim ban. It's what he called it the whole time. And the, and you don't get to to claim you're in you're in favor of religious freedom 
when you do that. And we'll get to religious freedom in a minute with the, with the attorney general wrapped up in that. But the, the, anyway, this Nashville reporter talking about the benefits of the narrow scope, this Nashville reporter, local reporter, uh, NBC affiliate Nancy Ammons was able to ask very pointed questions in that one on one of Pompeo that he was just unable to answer. And I think that that's one of the goals of impeachment is is not obviously not just the congressional Article One powers and duty to impeach, but to garner public support and and you know I think maybe keeping the focus narrow here helped simplify that message to the public. He was unable to answer her very pointed questions, and I think she was able to have those very pointed questions because this issue is just so simple. Uh, do you support a president asking for foreign help in a U.S. election? It just It's very, a simple question, and Republicans on the Hill can't even answer it at this point. Yeah, I mean, there was the Mike Pence interview that had that. There was the Mike Pompeo interview uh, as well. Uh, and what, you know, it is frustrating. Yeah, obviously, people in politics fall back on talking points. They do it, you know, that, that is, it's a rhetorical trick that they do. You know, it, it, you just ignore the question and say the thing you want to say. You know, that's, that is, you know, it, and it's incredibly frustrating. But thankfully, that reporter, uh, at least with Mike Pompeo, just kept hammering uh, <laughs> until it was just so painfully obvious that he was refusing to say that uh, that he met with uh, with Giuliani while he was in Warsaw. And by the way, when they do this, that just means yes, by the way. <laughs> that that is Mike yeah, Pompeo yeah. admitting that he uh that he in fact did meet with uh, with Rudy Giuliani in Warsaw for, you know, uh for no reason that he can actually justify uh in front of the American people. Uh you know, it, it, it's it, it, I, I'm but yes, I, I agree that that Posing that part of impeachment is forcing these people to be confronted that way. Um, I'm I am worried about the Senate because you've got just these crazy Lindsey Graham blowhards that will have a diva moment. You know, uh, uh, I mean, during the Kavanaugh hearings, I, I you know, Lindsey Graham, I, I, I joked afterwards that Lindsey Graham was going to be playing uh, Effie in Dreamgirls at a local community theater after this. Um, because uh, it was such a spectacular diva moment from him. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, he but so I do worry that that unfortunately public hearings are are not the 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 necessarily going to work because of the way that the Republicans often handle them. Yeah, and that's another downside to limiting this to the to uh, to Ukraine, because folks like Lindsey Graham, uh might be swayed in the Senate if there's a call, which I'm sure there is, between Trump and Erdogan or Trump and Putin or both in that code word classified system about the withdrawal of Syrian troops. And I think that that could motivate Republicans more than, you know, asking for foreign assistance since half of them took donations from Russia in the last election anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, again, it's uh, 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 but but what I what I do think is sinking in with the public and and the polls do seem to reflect this right now is just a general sense of these guys are uh, are incompetent and up to some crazy bullshit. You know, I, I think that general feeling is uh, uh, is, you know, I mean, obviously, the majority of Americans didn't vote for Donald Trump. They didn't want him as president, uh, you know, and now I think that's sort of metastasizing into a, a you know, that that there are actual polls saying that 51 percent of people favor impeachment and removal. Um, is that's unprecedented as far as I know, um, you know, and I so I and I do think the Ukraine uh, 
is the the investigations into the Ukraine uh, situation are are finding more layers of corruption that are resonating with people. You know, if 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 it turns out, you know, it appears Giuliani was working on behalf of these, uh, you know, of uh, Parnas and Fruman uh, as well with the liquid natural gas. By the by the way, I, I'm still I still don't understand that, and perhaps you can explain it to me. Uh, <laughs> and I'm a guy who follows this stuff. Um, but uh, so the idea was that they were trying to get rid of the ambassador because they were trying to get rid of the president of a liquid natural gas company in the Ukraine. Is that what was happening? Yeah. Rick Perry and uh, Igor and Lev and Giuliani were trying to put friendly board members on this gas company in Ukraine. And this is not the gas company that uh, Biden worked for, by the way, just a different one. No, not Burisma. No. Yeah. But that they did that so that they could control um, the, you know, the gas probably pipeline, you know, in, you know, with the, you know, Russia and, and all that, because we, you know, as we know, mm-hmm. they're trying to get a peace deal between Putin and uh, Zelensky in Ukraine and Russia so that they can lift the sanctions there and a pipeline deal. If they had enough people pushing for this pipeline deal, they could get a ceasefire. And when that peace happens, then they would have the res- the resources they need, or at least the, the public support in those countries they would need or in the EU to lift the sanctions that we placed on Russia for annexing Crimea. That's my guess. I'm, I'm speculating. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Okay. Plus it, it, you know, yeah, yeah. Basically all, all, all of the, the, oil and gas uh, companies end up being basically oligarchy uh uh you know facilitating the oligarchy you know they the uh, um and I, I think the bigger thing for americans that they that people don't seem to get yet is that basically trump and and unfortunately many of the republicans are hoping to turn america into a russia style kleptocracy uh, at this point, I mean, that's that is what I figure is the big sort of long range goal here. Uh, uh, you know, and I know that sounds sort of apocalyptic, but it's the only thing that makes sense at this point. Yeah, I know that in the nuclear Middle East Marshall Plan, Saudi Arabia reactor stuff. But, you I, you know, if I were you, I'd check out Blowout, the new uh, book by Rachel Maddow. She explains it all really well in there with the with the kleptocracy, kleptocracy oligarchy, all the oil uh, and how Russia's using that around the globe to try to further their political interests. But I'm 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 still a little torn on this after speaking to you. I don't want to going back to the Ukraine thing. I don't want to make the same mistake we made with Mueller mm-hmm. um, on the Ukraine thing because you know you can't fit the Mueller report on a bumper sticker. Mm-hmm. Uh, although we were going to, we were going to put that whole last paragraph really tiny on a bumper sticker, so, <laughs> so that, <laughs> just to sort of make that point. Um, but. Uh, I did. I did want to speak to you also a little bit about speaking of uh, the Attorney General Barr and religious freedoms. Uh, I know that you were tweeting about this recently, uh, and your Twitter is at Mr. John Cryer. Uh, he spoke at Notre Dame, blaming violence, drug addiction, depression, mental health issues on the new secular age. And I was wondering what your thoughts are on that crazy fucking bullshit that happened in that <laughs> in that speech. Well, of course, that's there's nothing new about that, um, but it does go to what a lot of the the uh, a lot of the the tribalism that surrounds Trump is Christian tribalism. Christians in America feel under attack, uh, uh, and they feel mostly it's pop culture, uh, you know. And, and but that's because the pop culture has you know has always turned a bit of a jaundiced eye towards religion, and you know because Christianity has been the major religion in the United States. 
um, you know, there's always been a, a, uh, a, as I said, a jaundiced eye turned toward religion, uh, you know, especially artists generally, uh, uh, you know, feel like it's their job to rebel from that. So yeah, pop culture has a generally anti-religious bent, you know, um, uh, you know, it, he obviously blaming all that stuff on it is, uh, uh, hilarious, uh, in many respects. Um, but you know, they're, they're, you know, it's basically religion, the, you know, as, as uh, who that had once been referred to as the opiate of the masses versus the actual opiate of the masses, which is now like meth and, 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 uh, uh, and such, you know, it, it, it is a, a you know, I, I, as I said in my tweets, I, you know, it's fine for him to feel this way. I don't know why he's giving that talk to lawyers. <laughs> um, you know, it, you know, I, I, I guess when he's, he's trying to talk about moral systems and the idea being that somehow uh, having an ethics and moral system that is divorced from religion is the end of mankind, although it sure works for me, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> You know, I bottom line, I, I don't know if that's the driving force between why he's so corrupt and awful and, uh, you know, why he feels he's justified in doing the horrible things that he does. Um, uh, you know, plenty of plenty of bad guys have uh, have justified doing awful things because they they wanted what they thought was a, was a better thing. And that seems to be how he's he's operating. Yeah, I think you're right. I think if we, you know, in the same way that we can frame Trump's behavior in him wanting to be an oligarch uh, and that thereby explaining why he does what he does, I think if we because the, the oligarch tag or goal didn't really fit with Barr. But I think if you give him the, you know, the theocracy tag, then it kind of explains uh, his willingness to be corrupt in order to further uh, his feelings on on theocracy and that they and that they would sit around and talk about Sharia law in the way that they do uh, being you know, instituted by uh, Barack Obama in the United States, but then turn around and make these sorts of speeches to lawyers at Notre Dame. Just it absolutely blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the, the hypocrisy runs deep with these folks, I, you know, and, and Pompeo, you know, also, uh, you know, known for uh, uh, bringing up his religious beliefs, uh, you know, uh, often in terms of what he what he does as Secretary of State. Um, uh, you know, again, I, I understand. Uh, you know, the, uh, there's plenty of people in my life who are sincerely religious, and and uh, I love what it does for them, and you know, the happiness that it brings to their life. I don't. I'm not against religion. I don't want it imposed on me. I'm not a religious person personally. Uh, uh, you know, and I certainly don't want it uh, imposed on my uh, on my nation and the, the you know and on the foreign policy of my nation uh you know it's it uh, i don't i don't think that helps but um but yeah there is an odd strain of it and it and it's fascinating to me i mean i i i once put on 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 uh, twitter my my grand unified theory of trump which is that he you know he aspires to be a putin style oligarch um you know that hence you know he he the 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 whole trump Moscow deal was just a uh, an effort on his part to play with the big go big boys, you know, and get into that crew uh, of of uh, of of Putin's. Um, you know, I, I think he's had uh, many dealings with uh, Russian organized crime over the years as a developer in New York City. 
Uh, you know, New York City obviously has been dealing with that for for uh, decades now. Uh, you know, Russian organized crime has largely supplanted Italian, uh, the old Italian organized crime uh, in New York City. Uh, and, you know, he's obviously, you know, to be uh, in the construction business in New York, you're going to you're going to have connections to that. And to what degree, uh, you know, he and in, Trump invited it. I, I don't know. You know, it's I think a lot of that's becoming clearer as we. Uh, you know, as as, uh, you know, more and more people speak up. Yeah, agreed. And I think in the case of all of these guys, uh, if it, it just boils down to fragile ego and narcissism in the end. So mm-hmm. um, whether whether you take the theocracy route or the oligarchy or, uh, you know, autocracy route, I think I think that's the stem. I think that's the root of it. But yeah, um, everyone, John, John Cryer. Um, catch him as Lex Luthor in Supergirl <laughs> and the film Big Time Adolescence dropping in 2020. I can't thank you enough for joining us today. You are literally one of my favorite people. And I want to thank you for using your voice for good. And I cut you off with your credits. What were you about to say right there? Oh, no, I, I just thought I thought that was a great segue. It was like, you know, we're talking about oligarchy and all this stuff. And then we go. And by the way, Lex Luthor on Supergirl. Uh, <laughs> well, it, I, mean, I think it's relevant. That shit, it would be Lex Luthor, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> but mostly, you know, it's funny because, you know, we, we toss about, we, we, we toss these terms around oligarchy and autocracy and all that stuff. And I, and I feel badly because I, I do feel like that, you know, I, I feel like sometimes that alienates people and, you know, we're, we're, we're trying, you know, I feel like, uh, are we trying to be smarty pants is talking about, uh, you know, super serious stuff. And, but, you know, all this stuff does boil down to a basic level of corruption that Americans should not have in their lives. You know, if you visit countries like uh, uh, like Russia, uh, you know, countries that have been dealing with autocratic dictators that have corrupted their societies for a long time, there is a cynicism that just soaks into the society that is so awful and sad. And one of the nice things about America is we still have a certain amount of earnestness. You know, we still care. We have a certain amount of hope. And if we lost that, I think it would be tragic. I think it would be a terrible, terrible tragedy. And that's I, that is what I think is, you know, I think it's healthy to have a certain amount of cynicism about politics. You know, it's it's grubby and it's all and, and it's tainted by money. Absolutely. Um, but we should have some hope that we can do better than this. And I believe we can. I believe we will. I believe Donald Trump will be the first U.S. president who is impeached and removed from office. Uh, I am grateful that that people like you are fighting the good fight and and these making these podcasts that are letting people know there is community and that we all are, we are all understanding what's happening here. Uh, and I'm grateful that, uh, that I can uh, speak with people like you and, and get out on social media and talk with people as well. So thank you for the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. No worries. And yeah, I think the, uh, I think the Lex Luthor thing, I remember we had talked about, remember when uh, Trump wanted to buy Greenland? I, I swear to God, that was a, a Lex Luthor plot to, to <laughs> you know, when the, when the ice caps melted, he would build tropical golf courses there. I swear to God, it was a Lex <laughs> Luthor plot. So I feel you on that. And thank you again for the kind words. I really do appreciate it. And thanks for, thanks for coming on Muller She Wrote. Such a pleasure. All right, guys, that's our show for today. Um, thanks again to John Cryer for taking the time. We get to spend a good 25 minutes on the phone. And he's just so funny. And I really appreciate uh, him taking the time out of his busy um, filming schedule and his schedule of being awesome to come and talk to us. Um, really great insights on autocracy and theocracy. 
um, just a lot of great stuff to say uh, and about, uh, you know, I, I'm still undecided on whether I'm for putting all the impeachment eggs in the Ukraine basket or spreading it out a little bit. It's like it's just hard to tell. There's so many pros and cons on both sides. I, I'm I'm feeling like I sh- should trust Nancy, um, uh, you know, based on our earlier conversation about we need to trust our experts. She's been there a long time. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> are we doing final thoughts? Sure, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. Okay, I didn't. I should add. I should add. You're like, uh, can I say something now? <laughs> Jump in the gun there, Jordan. God, don't just take over. <laughs> she's like, please. She's like ready to end now. She's like, can we do final thoughts? No, <laughs> um, no I, I was listening to, uh, there's a really good Vox Today Explained podcast episode. Podcast. Yeah, it, they, they talk about like the nine, I think it's nine either seven or nine possibilities of impeachment scenarios and it goes through like all the different people uh that that would be you know eligible eligible to be the president yeah um and it goes basically kind of who the seven who could end up president yeah or the different scenarios in, in which like what is most likely how trump could potentially um react to all of them and and it's interesting and they talk about Pelosi and how she probably wouldn't be able to actually sit in that because she would be she wouldn't be uh I don't know if this is the right word but essentially like confirmed by the Senate to like keep that that role they could like vote her out essentially yeah in which case it would go down to I believe the Secretary of State but he might be wrapped up in it and then if it's not him then it would be the Treasury Secretary so So Pompeo or Mnuchin yeah Steve, <laughs> yeah. oh, President man. Steve. Yeah, sorry if I totally bastardized that process with Pelosi. It's in the it's in the podcast. Yeah, I forget exactly what would happen. But the moral of the story is that even if Pence and Trump both go down, it's not likely it's that not she likely would Pelosi also, would yeah, be president. Yeah, yeah. I've been saying that forever. I don't, yeah. and I don't know that. Um, I don't know that Trump would resign. I, we, I think we'll impeach him. And, and unless we remove him, we'd have to vote him out, in which case Pence would take over, mm. pardon him. He would still be susceptible to state crimes after he left office um, because you can't federally pardon state crimes. Uh, and I don't think Tish would just let shit lie. Uh, Tish James, uh, New York Attorney General. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we still have the the New York trump org case going on with with the manhattan district attorney so that's really interesting what's the what's it called again vox vox today explained cool. yeah, the podcast. It's a good podcast i really like it. yeah it's like within the last week i forget which day exactly you'll see it on their feed sweet yeah, yeah. anything amanda no not much for me i'm excited my my mom's coming to town today yeah from, from canada and uh she doesn't know a lot about American politics, but she's been listening to the podcast recently. Oh, that's cool. It's really cute. She's been like doing a crash course so she can <laughs> understand. She's like, my daughter does a podcast. I don't know anything about the Senate, but I'm going to learn. <laughs> so that's cute. Nice. I'm going to go pick cool. her up and get her, get, yeah. get her flowers and show her around San Diego. Aww. Mm-hmm. Aww. Glad she got here safe. Have fun. Yeah. yeah. And um, we'll be back tomorrow. And again, we'll be traveling um, in New York Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Yeah. So if you listen to the Daily Beans, you might get uh, abridged versions or maybe Mini none. Beans. iPhone Mini recordings. Beans, <laughs> iPhone recordings. We'll put something out somehow. Uh, just even if we're just like, hi, we're very tired. I love you. Bye. <laughs> um, but uh, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. I've been AG. I've been Jordan Coburn. I've been Mandy Reader. And this is Muller She Wrote. Muller She Wrote is produced and engineered by AG with editing and logo design by Jaleesa Johnson. Our marketing consultant and social media manager is Sarah Lee Steiner, and our subscriber and communications director is Jordan Coburn. Fact-checking and research by AG, and research assistance by Jaleesa Johnson and Jordan Coburn. 
Our merchandising managers are Sarah Lee Steiner and Sarah Hirschberger Valencia. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is MullerSheWrote.com. Hi, I'm Harry Littman, host of Talking Feds, a roundtable that brings together prominent figures from government law and journalism for a dynamic discussion of the most important topics of the day. Each Monday, I'm joined by a slate of Fed's favorites and new voices to break down the headlines and give the insider's view of what's going on in Washington and beyond, plus sidebars explaining important legal concepts read by your favorite celebrities. Find Talking Feds wherever you get your podcasts. M-S-W Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.